0: Good morning, Indelible Grace Church. My name is Pastor Wade, and we're going to hear from the Word of God today. Today's passage is from John chapter 21, verses 15 through 19. You can find this in your bulletin or in your Bibles. John chapter 21, verses 15 through 19. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands, and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. This is the word of God. We are almost done with our series in the Gospel of John. And we're in the final chapter this week, and next week, Pastor Michael will close us out in our time with the final verses of this gospel. The gospel of John is known as the gospel of belief. The purpose it was written was so that we would come to a true belief in Jesus. And not just believe that he is who he says he is, but that we would have the life that only he can give. In John chapter 20, verse 31, this is what Pastor Michael went through last week. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. The book was written so that we would believe, so that we would have life in the name of Christ. And this is not just eternal life after death, although it is certainly that. But it's not just that. The life that Jesus speaks of. It's about a life that's defined by the person of Jesus. It's a life that is centered and grounded in the life and person of Jesus. Jesus himself is life. This is why he said in John chapter 14, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus is the life. Now the implication of this should be really painful for us if we really stop to consider what it means. It means that we do not have true and real life if we do not believe in Jesus, if he is not the center of our life, because there is no life apart from him. And what this means is that if Jesus is not foundational to the way that we live, then we are more dead than we are alive. So that means that there are some who are listening to this message today who are dead, We don't have life. So this book of John was written so that we would believe, so that we would have true life. The only way we can have true life is if we believe. And I appreciate what Pastor Michael said last week in his sermon. He said what true belief is and what it's not. True belief is not mere assent to a propositional truth placed before us. Just agreeing that it's true doesn't necessarily mean all that much. But what if you let the truths that you hear change you? What if you bet your whole life on what the truth is being true? This is real belief. When we place our whole weight on whatever is true, being true, this is real belief. I uh, I like words, and I think a lot can be communicated by how words are structured. Um, and, and here's, one that's always gripped me Uh, think of the word understand understand the most simple explanation of the word understanding is, is that we comprehend the idea that's being communicated by whoever's speaking comprehension so when the Bible says that Jesus is Lord I can grasp the concept of Jesus being the ruler of all things it makes sense to me my mind can grasp the meaning of that I can make sense of it And I can understand what's being said by the gospel, by by the Bible. This is understanding. This is comprehension. But what about this way of approaching the word understand? That we stand under the truth of what's being communicated. When the Bible says that Jesus is Lord, we stand underneath this truth. We submit to this truth and we let the weight of the statement fall on us we are underneath what is true and even if it's inconvenient even if it's painful we'll let the full weight of that fall on us because what else will you do if something is true so do you see that there is a type of understanding that informs you it's a type of understanding that you can grasp intellectually And there's a type of understanding that weighs upon you, that keeps you up at night, and that ultimately changes you. Today's passage is about a disciple, Simon Peter, who stood underneath the truth that Jesus is the Christ. And even though he almost walked away from Christ, Jesus pursued him, Jesus went after him. And this text is for those of us today who have walked away or we've been tempted to walk away from Christ. Or those of us who have turned our back on Jesus, or who are considering it. And in this text, there is good news for us today, because Jesus is still pursuing his people. Perhaps even those of us listening right now. So in our few moments together, I want us to understand how it is that Jesus can restore his friend Peter, and what it means for us and our church so three points today, and they're in your bulletin. Um, I'm going to switch the order of the first and second points. So our first point will be this. The heart of Jesus toward Peter. Uh, the second second point is Jesus' question for Peter. And finally, the third point, the responsibility of Peter. So our first point. Um, let's talk about the background of Peter. So Peter was one of the most enthusiastic followers of Jesus. In the four Gospels, they give us a picture of a man who jumped headlong into life with Jesus. Here is Peter, the one who was always the first to speak up among the disciples. He was quick to pledge his allegiance to Christ. He was so confident of his devotion and love for Jesus. And even to the point where he vocally disagreed with Jesus, uh, There's in the Gospel of Mark, in chapter 14, there is a scene where this is before Jesus is put to death, the night before Jesus is put to death. And he tells his disciples that they're all going to fall away. And Peter says, Jesus, you don't know me. I'm not going to fall away from you. Even if everyone else falls away, I'm going to stay. And you have to smile at a character like Peter because he is so certain. He's so earnest. Immediately after what Jesus says in Mark 14, he he focuses in on Peter after Peter speaks up, and he tells him, Peter, Peter, you are going to deny me. And Peter, again, he argues against Jesus. He says, Jesus, I will not deny you. Even if it means death, I will not deny you. Well, the Gospels tell us that Peter did exactly what Jesus said he would do. Three times he denies that he even knows who Jesus is three times and a quick side note a a life lesson for us if you're going to argue against God there is a thousand percent chance that you're going to lose this is what happened to Peter he was so sure of himself but he was wrong so the story goes Peter denies knowing Jesus when he's confronted about it this is in John 16 And not once does he deny Jesus, not twice, but thrice Peter denies Jesus. Jesus called Peter to follow him at the beginning of his ministry. And for more than three years, they lived together. They lived alongside each other. They knew the most intimate details about each other. There was a trust and a camaraderie and an affection. Peter loved this. He loved this relationship. He fully appreciated it almost and this is why he's so adamant that when the time comes he will not fall away he will not deny jesus but when the time comes what does he do he denies ever knowing him after he does this peter is torn apart he knows the severity of this denial he knows that it was cowardly he knows that it was despicable It was a cruel insult to Jesus in his darkest hour. And this was his friend that he denied. So Jesus is crucified. He rises from the dead. He appears to the disciples. He comes face to face with Peter in this scene. And what is Jesus going to do with Peter? There are two things Jesus does with Peter in chapter 21 of John. The first is not in today's passage, but it's in verse 12. Verse 12. It says that Jesus makes breakfast for Peter and the disciples. And I don't know if there's a whole lot of theological significance to the fact that Jesus made breakfast for his friends, but I love this detail that Jesus, the Savior of all who would ever believe in him, Jesus, the creator of the universe, he creates a small little meal for his friends. He went through the time and effort of of preparing a meal. This is what he does for his friends. The second thing Jesus does with Peter is he pulls him aside. And and this is where the the breakfast detail comes into play in a more significant manner. Um, Jesus made breakfast over fire. And the last time that Peter was asked a question over fire, was about Jesus someone asked him Peter do you know Jesus and Jesus denies him and so it's fitting that Jesus has this conversation in this specific spot over a fire he wants Peter to remember this it's not to taunt him but it's so that Peter would fully grasp the significance of this exchange three times Peter was asked if he knew Jesus in front of this fire. And here, Jesus is going to ask him three questions as well in front of this fire. So what does he do? What does Jesus do to, these, to this denier? Jesus doesn't stare him down, even though this would be completely justified. He does not lay guilt upon Peter, although he would be right to do so. But there is no condemnation There is no condemnation for his friend. Instead, there is affection. There is a reaffirmation of the call that Jesus placed on Peter when he told Peter to follow him three years earlier. And Jesus says again in this passage, follow me. Jesus reestablishes the friendship. He restores Peter. He makes him whole again. And he does this in a way that Peter knows that it's going to be against the backdrop of his denial, against the backdrop of his sin. And Jesus wants Peter to know that even the most terrible thing he's ever done will not change his love for him. Even though Peter severed the relationship the night that he denied knowing Jesus, Jesus will not let him go. Jesus himself will not sever that relationship. There is no treachery or abandonment or failure or sin that will defeat the love of Jesus for his friends. Indelible Grace Church, this is the heart of Jesus. This is the heart of Christ for us. The same heart that Peter experienced that morning in front of that fire is for us today. love and affection warmth tenderness compassion forgiveness this is the heart of christ but in order to to experience this we have to understand our sin the same way that peter did peter knew that he had no excuse nothing could have justified his denial he knew the gravity of it nothing is more important in our lives than relationships and here Peter destroys this relationship with Jesus the night that he denied him. Peter knew that it wasn't a hypothetical sin against a hypothetical person. This is a real assault on a real person, on a real friend, and the consequences were devastating. And like Peter, we need to understand the depth of our sin if we want to experience the love and the tenderness and forgiveness of Jesus The Puritan Thomas Watson has this really great quote, Until sin be bitter, Christ will not be sweet. Until sin be bitter, Christ will not be sweet. Until we understand the bitterness of our sin, the gravity of our sin, Jesus will not be sweet for us. But if we understand that, we can be certain that there is no condemnation for us. If we approach him honestly, a humble and contrite heart he will not despise. If we get to that point, we can say with Peter and with Paul, who wrote this in Romans, For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation, will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Do so you want to know the heart of Christ? Then understand the severity and the gravity of your sin. And know that you cannot cleanse yourself. Know that you cannot make atonement for your sin. You cannot sweep it under the rug. You cannot explain it away. But if you come to Jesus, Jesus will forgive you completely. Jesus will wash away all your sins. Because this is who Jesus is. So that's the heart of Christ toward Peter. And this is the heart of Christ that Christ has toward us. Our second point, Jesus' question for Peter. So like I mentioned, Peter was asked three times if he knew Jesus the night before his crucifixion. And now three times he's asked a question again. Jesus asked Peter, Jesus, Peter, do you love me? Do you love me? The first one is in verse 15. Jesus asks, Do you love me more than these? There's not complete consensus among commentators on what Jesus is referring to when he says, uh, When he asks Peter, Do you love me more than these? Um, what's these referring to? But uh, several commentators say it makes sense that Jesus is referring to the love of the other disciples. So when Jesus asks Peter this question, he, he's asking, Peter, do you love me more than these other disciples love me? This makes sense when you consider that several times in the Gospels, Peter compares his loyalty and his love for Jesus to that of the others. So Jesus is asking Peter, do you love me more than these other disciples love me? And then Jesus asks him again two more times, verses 16 and 17, Peter, do you love me? Do you love me? Jesus doesn't ask these questions to make Peter feel bad. And nor is it to make Peter prove himself to Jesus. Um, we, we, We see that Peter himself acknowledges that Jesus knows all things. So why does Jesus ask him three times? He asks these questions of Peter so that Peter will probe the inner workings of his heart so that he himself would know whether or not there was love for Jesus. When Jesus asked Peter three times, he's asking him to consider, Peter, why do you love me? To what extent do you love me? And to what end? Because this is going to be the most important question for Peter for the rest of his life. For the rest of his life, everything he does is going to be rooted in his love for Jesus. Even in his death, we see this in the passage, Jesus tells Peter that one day he is going to be led to his death for the sake of Jesus. The tradition tells us that Peter was tortured and he was crucified upside down as a result of his gospel work. And for him to accept this for him to embrace the suffering that was going to come his way this requires a love for jesus that is genuine and true jesus is asking peter peter do you love me do you really love me because only love will sustain the work that i'm calling you to do i want you to notice what jesus doesn't ask of peter what does he not ask of peter Jesus doesn't ask him if he's going to deny him again. He doesn't ask him if he will obey all the commandments for the rest of his life. Because most certainly Peter, this apostle, would have moments of sin and distrust as he continued on in life. In fact, there's a little interesting little detail in the book of Acts. We're told that Peter had racist tendencies toward the Gentiles, even as an active apostle. Jesus isn't asking him if he's going to stop sinning. He's asking him, Peter, do you love me? Because his love for Jesus will be foundational to everything else in his life. Who he loves will determine the what and the why of his life. This is the question for Peter. And now the question falls on us. Do we love Jesus? the question, do you love Jesus? How much? In what ways? To what end? Why do you love him? How you answer those questions will determine who you become. The philosopher Thomas Aquinas, he, he made a point that there is an inversely proportional relationship between virtue and the law. The, most virtuous per- the more virtuous a person is, the less they need the force of the law to compel them to do what is good and right. Um, the flip side is the more unvirtuous a person is, the more they need rules to keep them in check and to make them do things that they should be doing. In other words, uh, it's it's whether or not we have a natural internal disposition toward good that that determines whether or not we need someone or something to tell us and remind us to act or do things a certain way. Uh, This concept is really simple. It sounds simple, and it is. But the question is, how do we become a person that naturally does good without being forced into it? Can we just read books? Can we think ourselves into becoming a virtuous person? Can we use willpower to force ourselves to to do what we're supposed to do? How are we to do good? How are we to become good people? The answer is this. We have to love good before we do good. If we want to be a faithful person, We have to love the person that we're committed to being faithful to. If we want to be a healthy person, we have to love our health. If we want to endure in whatever endeavor that we take on, we have to love the end goal. Love is what drives us. Of course, we can try to force ourselves to do certain things. This is willpower. And I will tell you, it will work. You can force yourself to act a certain way. You can force yourself to say certain things. And this is going to work for a while. But if we want to do something that lasts, we have to become a person that persists through all seasons in life. And in order to become a person that persists, there needs to be something or someone that we love at the end of our goals or at the end of our journeys, or at the end of our lifetime. What do you love? The concept is simple, but the solution is really hard. Before Jesus tells Peter what to do, he asks him this question, Peter, who do you love? And I ask you, who or what do you love more than anything? If not Jesus, do you want to love Jesus? Is he worth loving? If your answer is yes, then I have another question for you. How do you adjust and change the thing that you love? If you don't love Jesus, how do you become a person that loves Jesus? The answer for anything is this, you put it before you, you study it, you spend time with it, you find out what's lovely about it. This is how lovers fall in love, they spend time together, they talk, they dig into the hearts of each other. And so it is with Jesus. If you want to love him, you need to be around people that love him. You need to study him, you you need to pray in his name, you need to read his word, you need to do the things that He tells you to do. You need to submit yourself to His commands. You have to understand His love for you. Do you want to love Jesus? This is what you do. And when you want those things, you know you love Jesus. When you start doing those things, this is when you know that there is a love forming and developing, developing in you. In its most simple form, love is desire. The thing that you desire most is what you love. So what do you love, Indelible Grace Church? What do you love? Who do you love? I'm just a man. I can't force you to love him. But I can tell you that he's worth following. I think he is. The text tells us that after the third time that Jesus asked Peter if he loves him, that Peter was grieved. Peter was grieved. And Peter is hurt because the questions forced him to consider what he really did love. It forced Peter to consider his denial and the full weight of his denial fell on him. And this is what broke him. Jesus asked him three times, Peter, do you love me? And each question was a jackhammer that pressed further into his heart. And this broke Peter. And now that Peter is broken, Jesus will use him. This leads us to our final points. The responsibility of Peter. So Peter answers in the affirmative, Jesus, you know what's in my heart. Jesus, you know that I love you, even though I said I would deny you. And Peter receives this call, this commission from Jesus. Jesus says, "Peter, feed my lamb, feed my sheep, tend my sheep." What does this mean for those of us in the church? It means this that there is a ministry of the word. There, when, when Jesus says, feed the sheep, tend to the sheep, it's primarily about preaching and teaching. Mark Dever says this, God's word has always been his chosen instrument to create, convict, convert, and confirm, conform his people. This is why in, in Isaiah 55 it says this, it is through his word that God accomplishes what he desires. Romans 10, 17, faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. When Jesus tells Peter to feed his sheep, he says this, give them my word. Give them this this nourishment that will feed my people. And this means that in the church, the proper handling of God's word is to be a top priority. There are many other things that we do as a church, and we should do them. But if we don't get this right, if we don't preach the Bible, everything else falls apart. So, this is the responsibility of your pastors. It's not for us to be charismatic leaders. It's not for us to be cultural commentators. It's not for us to be motivational speakers. These things are wonderful. I wish that I was was charismatic. I'm not. I wish I were smart and erudite and I had smart things to say about culture and politics and finance and all these things. I'm not really smart. I wish I could inspire people. I wish I were motivational. I'm not. It's not my call to be those things. My call, my responsibility, Pastor Michael's responsibility, Pastor John's responsibility, it's to speak what is true from his word in a way that is covered in prayer, in a way that's done in the power of the Holy Spirit. This is what feeding the sheep is. A few days ago, I came across an article um, about a pastor of a church, a church, a pastor of a uh, mega church in New York City who uh, fell into sin, um, he was deposed. And um, this this was a non-Christian writing an article about this guy, and um, he was he he referred to a podcast that was done a few years ago. Um, so this this pastor he was a big basketball fan. He had a lot of professional basketball friends, and they talked about basketball. And um, multiple times th- throughout the 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 podcast, the host asked him um, spiritual questions like us something religious give us something spiritual and uh this pastor he didn't t- take the opportunity and toward the end of the podcast he just kept pressing this pastor um can, can you can you give us something deep and religious this is what he asked him this is a non-christian asking him would you give something to our listeners for them to rethink their purpose and this pastor ended his time on the podcast podcast with this You've got a purpose. You need to figure out your purpose. You need to to figure out what legacy you're going to leave. What people are going to say about you when you're done, when you're gone. This is what this pastor said. No mention of God. No mention of Christ. No mention of sin or the need of salvation. It's not wrong to talk about our purpose but I hope that will give you more than this. It's not a shepherd's job to be provocative or even inspirational. It's fine if we're those things. But Peter's primary task, the primary task of the shepherds in our church is to feed the sheep with the truth that will encourage them, convict them, challenge them, Wounded them, maimed them, perhaps. This is Peter's responsibility, and it's the responsibility of the shepherds that you have. But it's not just on the shepherds of the church, there is a responsibility for church members as well. Your responsibility is this to listen to what is being taught and like the Bereans, to discern what is true and good. Your job is to feed on the Word of God. That means that you yourself open up the Bible. It means that on Sundays, you prepare yourself thoughtfully before the table that God has set before us. Your responsibility is to pray for those who handle the Word of God, that we would be faithful in what we preach. And pray for your fellow members that they would receive the word with humility. Jesus also says, attend my sheep. And in addition to the preaching of the word, the teaching of the word, there is um, this, this shepherding aspect, which is caring for people, challenging people, calling them out in their sin, comforting them. My cousin, one of my cousins, he is a pastor in Texas, and he's been pastoring for a good uh, 20 years now, and I saw him um, uh, not too long ago, and he told me this, that your job as a pastor is to comfort the afflicted and to afflict the comforted. There are two sides to what we do in ministry, to comfort the afflicted and afflict the comforted for the honor of Christ. So this is what you should expect from your pastors. And this is what you should expect from yourself as well, if you are a member of I To understand what is true food, to eat that food. Jesus calls Peter to do something with the love that he has for Jesus. And this is not just for Peter, it's not just for pastors, but it's for all of us. Jesus ends this passage with the words, follow me. And he says this to all of us, to follow him. Follow Jesus. Know Jesus and his power and his calling upon your life. Jesus tells Peter, Peter, you're going to love me so much that you're going to be tortured for my sake. You're going to love me so much that you will die for my sake. Follow me into that. This is your calling as well, Indelible Grace Church. Follow Jesus, love him with all your hearts, and see that he is worth following into death. Will you pray with me? Father God, we are like Peter. We have denied you not just three times, but over the course of our lives, we have denied you thousands of times. And yet you still forgive, you still love, you still set your steadfast love upon us, God. And I pray that that would change us, I pray that we would hold on to that, and that that would, in response, cause a love for you. And I pray that this love would be sustained, that it would last, God. So I pray that we would do good work because of your call on us. We pray this in the name of Jesus, our Savior, amen.